up, everybody? This is the Brokenness to Faith podcast. Um, real quick, you can check us out on Instagram, brokenness <coughs> underscore two underscore faith. I promise we'll post something this week. <laughs> uh, we'll get to it. Uh, you can ask us questions. You can um, have any concerns. Um, whatever, brokenness to faith at gmail.com, brokenness to faith at gmail.com. If you hear the car in the back, that's that's whatever, that's a fire truck or something. <laughs> but we're going to bring the fire right here, Whoa. right now. There you go. <laughs> um, so, uh, we got a special guest today. It's me, Noah, and who's our special guest? I'm your special guest, Shane. Shane Felis from church. From some church, <laughs> yeah. whatever. A church. What church you go to? <laughs> Somewhere in the Coachella Valley. To all you listeners uh, who don't know, he goes to our church, Valley Christian Assembly. Not just some church in some valley. But in the Coachella Valley, Valley Christian Valley. Assembly. Today's topic we're going to be talking about is things the church does not want to talk about. Now, we're not throwing shade at our church. We are just saying as a whole in the U.S. what we see. And um, whether we agree with it or not, we did some polls. We, we asked some people anonymously. And so these aren't necessarily things we necessarily agree or disagree with. This is just what people said. So we put out a little poll, we asked people um, f um, up to five things, um, some people put less, uh, what are some things the church does not talk about, um, or talks about, but in all the wrong way. And here's what some people said, um, well, and then we'll talk about them, okay? Yeah, we'll go I out, so. I, will, I will share one person's result, their names are going to be anonymous, um, but I will share one person's uh, thing, and then we will talk about it, we'll go over the next few talk about it, and then we will go over, uh, our guest Shane had a list that was similar to mine, and then we will talk about my list, yep. go from there, and um, this one person put, when talking about um, things the church doesn't talk about, or talks about in the wrong way, this one wasn't um, very generic, they were actually super specific, they said one thing, they said, um, the I worship, it's the humanistic example, uh, it's a humanistic worship, he said, an example is songs like where they say, it's who I am, or how he loves us. Mm -hmm. I am a child of God. I will build my life. He went on, this person went on to say how there are lots of songs out there that are growing that talk about who we are, maybe in terms of who we are in front of Christ, which is good, it's biblical, but is that biblical worship? And he said that's a growing concern where you got songs and you got churches where they sing songs that build us up as much as, a little less than it should be building God. We need to be building God up, not ourselves. And when we put right. these, and his point was, when you put these worship songs that are about me, 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 yeah, you say, well, it's about God. But it's about how God sees you, when our worship should be how we should strive to see God. And it should be praise and glory to God. And in the sermon, build up you, hey, this is how God sees who you are. This is how God wants to build your life. But when we worship God, the hands raised and say, I will build my life. Right. You know, well, yeah. no, it's God needs to build our life. I get the concept of these yeah. songs, but they, they just only had one thing, and that's what they put. Um, let's see, what do you think about that? Um, so, a couple of things. First, I think wh whoever this is saying this, they might have an issue with, you know, some of the songs they may be hearing in their church. And I think that's a good thing. Because we should definitely be evaluating uh, what the words that we're using to worship God and know our theology. And so I just want to applaud whoever is bringing this up because that's what they should be thinking about. They shouldn't be blindly worshiping in a song. But secondly, um, I think when, when you brought up that song, I Will Build My Life, it does say I will build my life upon his throne. And I think a lot of the, the songs that we may have problems with are just artists expressing what they feel. And we could also look to the book of song, Psalms that says a lot of things that may not be objectively biblical, like, Lord, will you crush their jaws and, and stuff like that. I pray that over Noah. So, <laughs> so I think we have to view some of the, the music itself in, in that light, in their context, why they were written, who's the artist that's making the song. As far as worship songs, I think... Uh, a church that gives a variety of the types of worship uh, is a good thing. And I think our, our church does that really well. We have separate worship services 
for different people because people, uh, whether they're older or whether they're younger, oftentimes what they're listening to and what they're worshiping is associated with their history. And if you know, we have a lot of elderly people at our church, some of the old classical songs, they go along with your history and that reminds you of the past events and how God has brought you through certain issues. So I think it's good that we have a, a large variety of songs no matter what it is. And I think we can allow a wide variety of, of lyrics in the songs. And it's also a good thing to be critical about the actual theology of what they say. And, and we do different styles of worship to segregate our congregation, yeah. right? <laughs> All right? I'm just kidding, people. All right. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Shane. I think I would add that the whole point of worship, and I think, Mark, you might say something like this, is the point of it is to glorify God, not us, right? It's about yeah. you know, reminding us what God has done, glorifying God, lifting God up. It has nothing to do with us. And so I think when singing songs like that where it's, you know, where we're using that phrase I a lot, I think those are okay if in doing so it's reminding you of what God has done or it's, yeah. you know, because sometimes we have to look at what God has done through our own perspective, you know, in order to make it personal or in order to make it work yeah. for us. So I think in those cases it's okay, but it can, even if you don't realize it, get to that point where we're more thinking about what can I do or what have I done or things like that. And that perspective changes. So I think it's more just a matter of being aware of what you're thinking when you're in those listening to those worship songs and what's going through your head and making yeah. sure that, you know, you're in the right place. Because at the end of the day, the song doesn't matter that much when it comes to worship. It's more on you. Yeah. So I think it can be good yeah, if you're where your heart in the right. Is. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's two things I would say real quick. We got a lot to get to is, um, if some of these worship, where I put that in quotation, worship artists said, I'm just a Christian musician. They didn't call it worship music. Yeah. Right. I would have no problem with that if it was like a special song in the service or they put it out on radio or concerts, you know. But when you make some of these worship songs, that's where I draw a line. Like, is this a worship song? And in my own personal time, there are songs that are like worship songs that I worship to and I have my prayer and devotional time, that honestly, as much as I would love, because I like the song, would love for it to be played in church, it probably wouldn't and maybe shouldn't because it's not directly a worship song. Right. I feel yeah. God in it, and I, I feel like he speaks to me in it, like not directly, but I feel something in it. But would it be played in church? That each church is different. Right. Yeah. Now, we got one that did uh, a whole list of five. They did they followed the directions perfectly. Um, <laughs> we don't have to go through each one a lot because some of these we're going to go over later. This is just their list. And again, if you're listening, we're going over the list of things. People sent in list of things people of the church doesn't want to talk about, doesn't talk about or talks about wrongly. Doesn't mean we agree or disagree. This is just what they said. And they put these ones in order. Um, number one, they put LGBTQ agenda. Number two, they put hell. Uh, three, abortion. Uh, four, fornification. And five, Jesus. And they put in parentheses, is he even really preached? Hmm. So um, LGBTQ agenda that could be taken so many different ways because mm -hmm. um, they didn't say like how do we reach them or it's wrong or how we treat them. They just put LGBTQ agenda. So I assume that's like talking about politically or pride parade or yeah. agenda, some of which might have. But then again, that's not a knock on them because some Christians have a, an agenda too. Politicians, some politicians have an agenda. Businessmen, whether it's good or bad, they all have an agenda. They put hell because there's a heaven and hell, and some people don't want to preach hell. You might see that in mega churches, they don't want to preach that. Abortion, we're three guys, it might be hard to talk about, but that's a topic that's not always talked about. I think because maybe half the church, it, it might not necessarily concern their body, but at the same time, there's two people involved before it gets to that abortion. Um, and that leads to fornication. Um, and then there's, they put fifth is Jesus. Is he even really preached? Um, what do you guys think about that list? Well, we could take them one at a time. I think the first one with transgender, LGBTQ, uh, that, that statement, I think, like you said, it's really broad. And I think if they're talking about uh, that the church needs to become more conservative and attack leftists more, then I disagree. And I think the reason is because in church, 
it should be more vertical than horizontal, meaning it shouldn't be about stressing the left and the right. Rather, it should be stressing up and down you and God. Okay, so I think <laughs> So I think while I think it's good to talk about those current issues, if we're trying to divide, if that's our intention, then I think it would be harmful. Now, with that said, it's definitely an issue with us and God when we're discussing what does it mean to be human. And I think what the culture we have today has lost is the sense of what it actually means to be human. Uh, because um, we just, like, here's an example. If someone says to you, well, you, you are anti-racist, you condemn racism, and yet you discriminate against LGBTQ community. Well, the first thing that would come to our mind is, well, first of all, our race and our ethnicity is something that's sacred to us. You shouldn't be um, discriminating against someone because that's part of their being. That's something sacred to them. That's, that's their identity. Whereas uh, the, the, the idea of, of marriage and the idea of our sexuality is something that's sacred. So when you're attacking someone based on race, that's violating the sacredness of their being. The same thing is when you violate the sacredness of your humanity, what it means to be male and female the way God declared it to be. So that's just a couple of thoughts on the first one. A little more than a couple of thoughts. <laughs> so I'm going to go to number two for you. Right. Uh, we'll go just a few of them because we times like uh, hell. They mentioned hell in terms of church doesn't talk about, they believe the church doesn't talk about hell or doesn't talk about it the right way or enough. What do you think about that? Yeah. The, the first thing that came to my mind was back in like the 1800s and 1700s when there's the, uh, the hellfire and brimstone preaching where the majority of what they preached was the judgment and almost like trying to scare people into believing and compared to nowadays where it's true, there is not that much on hell for the most part. We talk about sin, we talk about heaven, we talk about that stuff, but we don't really talk about hell that much. And I think it's mainly just because it's, I don't know what the best word would be, but it's kind of, it is a scary thing to talk about, and it's something that people don't like to talk about because we think about the people who do go or things like that, and there's a lot of people who don't want to admit that there's a hell. They don't want to believe that that's there. So it's just, it's a very hard thing to talk about in a way that is constructive, in a way that would actually help people. And I think that's another thing, too, is when you think about why is this not talked about in the church, you have to think about it in confines of can you make a sermon out of this is what I often think about. And I can't really see anybody preaching a sermon on hell that is in any way applicable to the Christian. Because mm -hmm. if you're a Christian, well, then hell has no power over you, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're being taught about it because it's not something you necessarily need to concern about. And so it doesn't really serve for a sermon. But if it doesn't serve for a sermon, then you're not going to hear about it in church. So I, I think it's definitely something that needs to be talked about more and understanding what it is and, you know, all that. But it's not something that really can be taught in the church, I feel mm -hmm. like. And I think that's why it's something that it's so often not talked about. And then we got abortion. And abortion, this person submitted, um, that isn't really talked about. And you, we're going to get into that one later in, a, in a, another list. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, abortion is a topic that is very sensitive to some people, and it's something that, um, like, how do I say this? If you are living in the LGBTQ community and you and you come to Christ, and maybe your theology is that you you need to turn away from it, and you do. There are stories on YouTube, there are articles, people who live their lives on they turn from it and they got married and whatever. But in abortion, that's something you can't take back. That's why it's very sent. People are very sensitive about it because they, that's something that in their minds they can't undo. Right. And how do you talk about that with the church more than just a, a little women's group or a women's conference? Because men need to know about it too. Because in reality, it took two people to make that baby, and whether it was in marriage or outside of marriage, whatever. And sometimes there's pressure from them to get an abortion because it was outside of marriage, so they don't want to have to deal with with the baby or things like that and so it can be a very touchy subject we're going to talk about that a little more um in a bit another one for was fornication um there's there's i saw this little video it's very true but it's also um it's funny but it's the truth 
uh, it's on a meme page on Instagram. I know I'm a sinner. I go on Instagram, <laughs> and and this it looked like an old little clip. And the this youth guy, like a teenager, he looks at this like uh, Bible, this lady Bible teacher, and he says, "But what if I have an urge to have sex before I'm married?" And the teacher says. I guess you'll just have to be prepared to die. <laughs> I mean, I laughed at that, and it would keep repeating, you know, and I laughed at that, but I also came to realization that for some people growing up, that was the theology they were taught in pornification. Sex before marriage, you're going to die. Gee, thanks. So I messed up a few weeks ago. What do I do now? I guess I'm going to die. You know, like, I'm not saying we promote that it's okay, or we promote safe sex so then it's okay. But I am saying the way they're going about it is wrong. And then last one, I'll, uh, we'll throw it up. Uh, Jesus, is he even really preached? I saw a message the other day. I'm not going to throw shade. I, I saw it on TV. Um, and the person opened up their Bible, shared some scripture. Then they um, closed their Bible. They prayed. And then they spoke for like 25 minutes. Now, granted, it was probably a shorter message because they're on TV. But maybe that's their typical message time anyways. And they spoke on good living. They referenced characters in the Bible once or twice. But I was like, they had some stuff on a counter and they are using tools for illustrations. Right. And I'm like, but where is the Bible? I get it. Yeah. Some people get so deep in the Bible that it's hard for some people to, to get the day-to-day -day application. And then yeah. there are people who just give so many stories and day-to-day -day applications that they never actually gave a verse that should have been about that application. Yeah, I think that's more of a church by church thing where the other stuff I, I think is more widespread but that to me sounds like something that's very church specific because there's some churches that I've gone to where it is like that they they can go an hour and only bring up the scripture once or twice right. and then there's some churches where you know you can't they give too much <laughs> you know it's too much scripture too much you know going into it so I think it just depends entirely on a church by church basis where you can if you can go to one bad church that never talks about Jesus once and it might just be that church, whereas many others don't, as opposed to the other things, which I think are more widespread. All right, we, we will go on to another list. we got a few more short lists. We'll, if we've already talked about it on this list, then we will move on. Um, there, the number, this one gave three things, but one of the first one I'm going to save because two, two other people put it on their list. Um, but the number two, they put feminism, and then they put example. Uh, the man is the head of the household, according to the Bible. But when a woman is single and creates a career for herself, does she reduce her bread maker status when she marries to make the man more superior? Hmm. It, that's me. I, I know the, the biblical roles as outlined in the New Testament, but I also think we don't want to get... Um, what, what's the word? Where you're too rulesy. What's that word in the Bible? Legalistic. You don't want to get too yeah. legalistic. So what if... if if the person you're, if you're a man and the person you're going to marry is, oh, they're going to make more money than me. Right. I've always assumed it as the head of a household as a spiritual thing. Yeah, and exactly. Not, not a financial or yeah, physical it, thing. And, and that, that, that's, what, that's what I would believe and that's what I, I would say. And to be honest, like I've shared this before on my, um, on past episodes a few times, like I've never been good with money in my past. I'm working on it. God's using me. I used to gamble like crazy. So realistically, I'm hoping my, my future wife, if God willing, allows me to get married. I know everyone over the age of 50 in our church is praying that uh, someone will send someone my way. Someday. Will, someday. Someday. <laughs> but realistically, just by nature, if they've never had a spending spree problem or a gambling addiction, they're going to already be better at finances than me. Am I still the, head, the spiritual head of the household? Am I still the man of the household? If they take care of our finances and they... They divvy up the percentage of money for bills and time. I, I I still think the roles are still in place. They're just they're just putting their strength up with my weakness. You know, right. they, they're fulfilling yeah. my weakness. It might not even be a strength for them, but I'm so weak at it at, from my past. I'm getting better at it that maybe that they're gonna, you know, like that idea that we fulfill each other. We become one. Now it's like the other thing. It's like maybe the head of the household spiritually, the man. Maybe you're out of town and your son or daughter messes up or they're getting in trouble. Well, the wife's there. They're going to have to do the punishment. They're going to have to do the grounding, spanking, whatever. Oh, but that's the that's the man's job. Well, you know, it's different for each thing. At our church, it only happened a few times. But, like, 
my dad was sick. So then my mom, my dad said, Pastor, my mom came up and preached. You know, yeah. is she the spiritual head of the church? Is No, I, no. But at the same time, if God's given a woman a word and it's like a one-off thing or here and there, I mean, you have youth pastors and children's pastors in churches that are women. Are they the head of their personal household? Probably not. They, they're married, you know, those things like that. Um, and who's the head of the main church household? Well, it would be the elder board or however your church structures. But most churches would say it would be a group of men prescribed by the Bible. But I don't see a problem with women making more money. I don't see a problem with women leading certain ministries and not just the women's ministry. Why can they lead the worship team and the women's ministry, but they can't be the children's pastor? Or they can't be... Or why is it the man is a children's pastor, but a woman in another church is the children's director? You know, like, yeah. if, if, if they're ordained and God has given them the gift to do these things under their church, if, if it's okay, then let them do it. Now, head pastor, that'd be different. And I know I'm getting off top of here, but feminism, yeah. um, you can make more money all you want. Preferably for me, if I'm called to ministry, I hope you make more money than me because we're not going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I think Noah hit it on the head when he said it, there's the huge difference between spiritual and financial leader. Right. I think that's just what it comes down to. Okay, uh, number three um, on here. We skipped the first, we'll get to it later. Third one, uh, path of salvation for people with mental illnesses or diseases from birth, like schizophrenia, Down syndrome, and severe autism. Can I take this one? Sure. All right, cool. So this is a huge one because uh, also one of the other topics that uh, I, I looked up uh, art, a few articles that was a common thread was loneliness. And when it comes to mental illness, so, some of the, the temptation as a church is to maybe kind of act like it isn't there or it's not common when in reality it is. And there are many people uh, who are dealing with this in their lifetime. I have two family members, my dad who has anxiety disorder and my mom's brother, um, who has a, a couple different mental illness, I think one of them is bipolar and another one, I think partially another one. But um, what, what you can definitely know for a fact is if you embrace uh, people who are dealing with this into your church, you will see so much blessing and so many opportunities for God's glory. Hmm. And I'll just give you one quick example is my mom was telling me just the other day um, about a story of when her, it was years ago, uh, I think a couple decades ago, or maybe a decade ago, when my uncle, my mom's brother, was in a really hard time. He was not thinking straight at all. He would go in the street and stop traffic, and he was hospitalized, and he was put in this place where he was strapped down on, on, a, on a hospital bed. And he clearly wasn't all there. But what my mom said to me, she said to me this, she looked at him and they were sitting together and he looked at her and, and even though he wasn't all there and he, had, he was dealing with this, he looked at her and he said, let's sing. And so they sung worship songs there together. And it was amazing to see when she, she was explaining to me that it was amazing to see for her that even in the midst of this, so much uh, just uh, turmoil within the mind and like I can't even imagine what that would be like, but yet to still be able to commune with God. So just because you have mental illness does not mean you cannot commune with God. And he said he was strapped down to a hospital bed worshiping God. So there's so many examples, so many stories that you could bring to light when you embrace mental, people who struggle with mental illness. And, and I would say, because um, I work with people with um, disabilities, and I struggle because there are some that it's so severe that I don't know if they can comprehend God. They couldn't even tell you where they live. They couldn't, and it's not because of drugs or heavy drinking. It's because they were born with whatever disability. Some of them, they just, you, you, they can't even put together a full sentence. Some of them, they're just, literally, they're pretty much almost brain dead, and they have to be wheeled around. And it's a, it's a blessing to see people helping them, but can they even comprehend God if they can't even comprehend putting together a sentence? I don't know the hearts, I don't know the minds of, of every single person, but I think God would know, and we would just have to trust that that if you, like, I look at it like a child. Like, a child doesn't have disabilities, per se, but if they died at the age of two or three, could they have comprehended true salvation, repentance, and renewing of the mind, and turning, 
I, I don't think they can. And you can say, well, what age? Well, I don't know necessarily what age. That might be different for different people. But we would all agree if a baby died, God forbid, at one or two years old, could they comprehend repentance and salvation? No, they couldn't. I don't think Jesus would send them to hell for that. That that why would he why would he do such a thing that that wasn't them that wasn't on them yeah and I would say the same with this and you could say well why would God allow them to be born with disability I can't answer that but what I can answer is the fact that um, if they do not understand if they cannot understand the gospel not because it's complex or confusing but because of the mental capacity that was given to them since birth yeah God understands that He loves them. And I think he would love for the church to love them. Even if you say, well, what does it matter? They might go to heaven anyways, or it's set they're going to go to hell anyway, or whatever. Because we're called to love them, even if they're set to go to heaven, because it's supposed to be for us to help them. Yeah. And even on this earth, we want life to be as joyful and pleasurable, spiritually speaking, for every person. And to give them the dignity and time of day. Um, we got a few more here, then we'll get to our list. I know we're um, close to the 25-minute mark. Um We'll go really quick on, we got two more lists. One of them, uh, two of the four we already talked about. One person put LGBTQ, someone put abortions. Another one they put was human trafficking. Um, we see it, say when I lived in LA, we had a, a ministry, part of the Dream Center, where they would help people get off the streets from being pimped out. Um, they would help people, um, what they would do is late at night, they would walk around certain street corners and they would know where the prostitutes kind of were. And they would just walk up to them and they would hand them a flower. And on that flower, they, they, I don't forget how it worked out, but they had like a little note. And it said, if you want to get out of this lifestyle, meet us on this street at this time. And then they would have them hop in their van and they would take them to the Dream Center. And they had a, a hidden floor. I don't want to say hidden, like underground, but a place where no, like it wasn't necessarily known to the public. They knew... The church knew, the people, the congregation knew we were supporting this ministry, but it was to keep them safe. Yeah. So it was like a safe house. So not everyone knew directly where on the property they lived, but they had their own housing, and they helped them either get schooling or whatever they needed to, to get back on the streets. And human trafficking is a real thing. It's not just sex slaves in China or in Thailand or in the red light district. Uh, I forget where that's at, like in Europe. It's all over the place. It's here. Yeah. It's here in the valley. I mean, it, there's things going on, um, Wayfair or whatever it's called. Yeah. Is that you know? You, you no, have any kid on the news? And they're like, you can buy like some stuff for like a hundred bucks on Amazon, but then they have like a premium version for like ten thousand dollars, and it, it's basically there's speculation that because it involves like sex trafficking. Anyways, it, it's real, and there are ministries that support it. Uh, that support um, stopping it, not supporting it. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah. another one, I'll leave it to you guys. We'll just quick answers here. Genocide. That was one they put. What do you guys think? I have a, uh, just a few thoughts. Uh, I think when you're talking, when it's talking about genocide or wh whoever's asking, I think they're mainly talking about um, God in the Old Testament and you know whether He's you know more more wrathful in the Old Testament than in the New Testament, and how could He command Israel to slay the Canaanites, take every uh, man, woman, and child. So basically, just a short response. I think mainly when we're talking about anything to do with with the Israelites trying to kill people or, or attempting to kill people, it's mainly in self-defense. And secondly, in the cultural context of when it was written, um, it didn't actually mean that it's going to be killing every literal person because verses after that that command was given there was still Canaanites running around what it meant is that they wiped them out they slayed the culture from Israel the Israelites because God didn't want to kill everyone in the whole world he wanted to make sure that Israel was set apart he wanted to make sure that none of the the customs and the culture of the Canaanites came on them that's what they wiped out and so in the cultural in that cultural setting the way that they wrote that was very uh, exaggerated in how they stated it. It wasn't a literal killing everyone, and obviously that would contradict what it would say in other parts of the Bible. So that's just my short response. Noah. All right, I got one uh, for you, Noah, yeah. on this list. And we got one more list here, and then we're going to go over our main list. Um, thank you for sticking with us again, the Spoken This Faith podcast. This may be broken up into two parts, maybe just one long one, um, but we encourage you to stick it out with us talking about things in the church the church does not want to talk about 
or talks about all in the wrong way. It's supposed to be a list of five. We're going over lists people sent us. Some sent us five things, some sent us one or two things, and then we'll go over our list. Um, here's one to you, Noah. This was the first thing someone put on their list. Empty slash ineffective uh, spiritual traditions. So traditions like, in the church. Okay. I, I, I assume they just said empty slash ineffective spiritual traditions. Maybe things in the church that... That we, that we don't that we do that we shouldn't be doing anymore. Maybe like an example in my mind would be like. I should have brought an example up. <laughs> an example would have been in my mind like back in the church, the old school days. Like maybe they just sang no no instruments. Oh, right, 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 right. Like, well, like just no instruments, and maybe you know there's an empty and effect or things we do as a church today that are ineffective that we still do. You know, like one of my pet peeves. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's a tradition, but it's a habit in the church, and we haven't done it in a while, praise the Lord, uh, for our church, is they would, in the middle of the service, when they do the announcements, they would say, if you're here for the first time, raise your hand, and then everyone would look at them, and I know people who I knew were there for the first time, and they wouldn't raise their hand, and I'm yeah. glad they didn't raise their hand, because the point would be, oh, then we can go talk to them after, we should just be able to point it out anyways, yeah. you know, I'm glad we don't do it anymore, but that's a tradition that I just think... A man-made tradition that a lot of churches do that I think... Maybe an altar call think, is good. Like an altar call yeah. is fine, but pointing someone out, singling them out, would probably turn them off. So yeah, yeah. Here's what, here's what I'll say, because yeah. without specific examples, it's hard to answer. But I think though, if you're talking about certain denominations, or if you look at the Catholic Church, definitely I think there's certain traditions that are carried over yeah. from centuries that are not biblical in any way and are empty but in a general sense i think if anything there's some traditions that maybe we've lost over the years that could be brought back and and how we operate certain services or the way we and, and again, traditions is a weird word so it makes it sound like rituals like communion or things like that you know when i think of traditions but i think just the way things are conducted there's some things that maybe could be brought back but without specific examples it's hard to say you know, it's hard to answer that question without specific examples. Yeah. All right. If you're listening to this, you know who you are. <laughs> Send us an email. I, I should have, um, <laughs> I should have hit you, I messaged you back and said, explain, but that's okay. This next one, we got to keep it brief. It's a big deal nowadays, but we got to keep our answers brief for time's sake and because I can talk about it for a long time <laughs> as well. It's the SJ word. Two words. Mm. No, social justice. Social, social justice. justice. Social justice. So the church, they're saying one of the five things, church does not talk about social justice. Now, I'm not going to say who this is, whether you know him or not, or know her or not, but the reality is it doesn't necessarily mean they're saying we need to talk about the organizations like Black Lives Matter and how they're right. They could easily be saying how we need to talk about organizations, how they're wrong, or vice versa. But should the church be talking about social justice movements? And if they are... Um, are they talking about it all in the wrong way? Um, I think, I think to a, I think there's nuances to it because um, if it directly links to your call to the to the church's calling, then it should be discussed. And I think what we're talking about now, like Black Lives Matter, I think it could be discussed, and I think it's an option for the church because um, you could you could talk about how all lives matter. And what actually does matter mean? Like, what does it mean to say a lives matter? And we could talk. You could talk about as a church um, that it, we see that all lives matter because we're created in the image of God, and we're all temples for Him to bring Him glory. That's why it matters. So you could talk about that, but I don't know if you would be, you know, I don't know what the questioner exactly his intentions are for that question. Well, I think because of all that's going on in the news. They, they would say, why aren't we talking about social justice and maybe bring up, hey, all this has been coming up now, not just Black Lives Matter, but in police for dying, not just that, but yeah. how come over the years our church, whoever this is, how come churches in the U.S. haven't been talking about social justice issues, not just these, but maybe in their mind the churches would have been better prepared to handle some of these situations or the questions their congregation might have if they've been up front about different social justice issues since the beginning right hmm. I, I would say what i'm thinking is it's important obviously to talk about those things and any 
potential injustice in the country or potential problems. But my question is, what is the intended result of that, right? You know, yeah. what is the goal of talking about those things? And I would say that rather than talking about social justice and the problems in the country instead, I think we can all agree that there are a lot of very poor communities, even here in the Coachella Valley, we have a lot of really poor communities that are largely minorities, regardless of why that is, whether it's systematic racism or some other issue, it doesn't matter. It gets matters, but what matters most is, is the church doing something about it? Yeah. Right. Cause we could spend all day talking about who's to blame or why this happened or what does the Bible say? But at the end of the day, we can't deny that there are communities that are largely minority that are struggling that the church should be the first people there and saying, hey, let's bring them some food. Hey, yeah. let's, you know, help them out in whatever way we can. And then we can figure out why that happened to make sure it doesn't happen again. But I think the question I would ask is, what is the intended goal of talking about those things? Is it just to, you know, point to the cause and then say, all right, cool, now we know what happened? Or is it to get to a point where we can actually do something about these issues regardless of the why it happened? Oh, and I would say really quick... Um... Because we watched the video on this. Yeah. Uh, our, our pastor asked the staff, and we're, me and Noah are not on staff, but he, he likes our opinions for some random reason. <laughs> and he asked us straight up, he said, um, just just check this out. And it was about uh, uh, racial, uh, what was it about? Uh, it was, um, I think it was I'm, defining I'm, social justice yeah, or something. Defining, or redefining or something uh, like that. Redefining uh, social justice and racial inequality and things like that. And he said, this guy said it's an African-American uh, pastor um, and professor, missionary. And he said, can we, is the Bible sufficient enough to where me and you who might be on opposite sides of the social justice spectrum, can we sit down with just the Bible and can we find racial reconciliation? Or do you need the Bible and this book, that book, yeah. this sociology book? Right. Or do we just need... Can we just use the Bible? And he went on to say, there are people like, yeah, I love God, and you know, but one, and I love reading the Bible one church. But once I read this book, this history or this sociology book by this person, yeah, that's what opened my eyes about God and racial reconciliation. I'm not against Christian literature, but if we only had the Bible, would that be enough? And if it's not enough for you, then we need to rethink how we go about social justice. Right. Exactly. Um, we got a few more. Keep it quick. Uh, raising healthy boys versus raising healthy girls. I think that's. Uh, I think what they're getting at is how sometimes we allow. Um, Nutrition. No, like. <laughs> yeah, you're still growing your boy. Uh, more like a masculinity versus like feminism. Ooh, right. You know, like, you know, things like, uh, like when God, men growing, uh, boys growing up, we want to make sure they grow up to be godly men. And when women or when girls grow up, we want to make sure they be godly women. Let me let me say this. I think, again, this is one of those things where you have to define what you mean by healthy, because I think it's it's hopefully it's very clear that, and maybe depending on who's listening, it's not clear. But boys and girls cannot be raised in the same way, right? Because boys will be far more aggressive at younger ages. Uh, girls might be more emotional at certain ages. You know, and if you treat them in the same way, the boy might be raised to be too aggressive or too unhinged with their emotions. The girl might, whatever. So yeah, exactly. there's certain ways to raise them, not even including the Bible, right? Just in general secular science, there's certain ways that they need to be raised and certain things they need. But then when you add in the Bible, there's even more qualities and things like that that you need for godly men and godly women to be raised. So... I guess it depends on what their definition of healthy is, because healthy could mean raised equally and given the same equal treatment. Healthy could mean the best outcome. So, but I, I do believe that, you know, that's something more towards the children's ministry side yeah. of church and how they instruct the parents and, and how the parents. they yeah. and whatnot. But ultimately, yeah, it comes down to that's, that's a great, you know, that's a great uh, issue. I didn't think about that. That's yeah. a great issue to bring up. And then uh, uh, modesty, modesty in the church. The church doesn't want to always talk about That's that. True, um, true. I remember years ago, I do sound at my church, and there was a worship leader who, they had a singer who would sing from time to time, love the Lord, but every so often, this female singer would wear shorts. Our, our church would, 
it's not a big deal to us. We're not like suit and tie, um, <laughs> although I do look good in a suit and tie. Um, it's, uh, we don't care. We get people in shorts and sandals, and our church will also get people who maybe like to wear a tie when it's cooler weather. You know, or, you know, you know. And in the summer, people just wear like a t-shirt and jeans, whatever they want to wear. But they're wearing shorts, but there was one particular Sunday morning where they showed up to practice, and their shorts were a little shorter than what probably the, 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 the worship leader would have liked. Yeah. And it wasn't being super rulesy or like a rules Nazi, but it was something that it, it was very questionable. And so they, they pulled them aside and said, hey, you know, if you can change, that'd be great. If you can't, then you, I just can't have you help with the worship team today. Yeah. And it, and it, it was done in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know how the person took it. I just know that's what they had to tell me. And I kind of had a thought that might happen, knowing the worship leader and seeing that person get up on stage to practice. But um, modesty, and it's not just the women thing. Um, we think, oh, beaches, girls, the questions Christian asked, should girls be allowed to wear bikinis? But yet, guys can go to the beach in their super short shorts, no shirt on, and they can go in the water and do the thing with their hair, you know. Right. And and then we, we say, we wonder why, like, only guys deal with us, when then that's the farthest from the truth. Guys need to dress modest, too. And also, I think, taking a step further, modesty also means, you know, are you wearing shirts that might have certain graphics on it that are not respectful or hmm. are you wearing that's true you know casual clothes that might not be considered respectful when you're in the church you know what i mean like again you don't have to be suit and tie but there's a certain point where modesty isn't just wearing something that is you know that might cause somebody to have bad thoughts yeah. but are you acting and dressing in a way that is appropriate for the situation which is church well, you know there, what I mean? there is one person i'll make it quick one person who is new to church Sadly, they don't come to church anymore. Hopefully, they go somewhere else. This was many years ago. And they walked in, and they were like a few years younger than me, and I'm 28. And this was years ago, so they're probably early 20s. And they, they wore this shirt where it was like this guy just like smoking a blunt. Right. And at my, you know, looking back now as an adult, I'd be like, man, I was happy they just, they were coming to church. Right. They weren't homeless or anything. It's just their choice of shirt they chose to wear. And then I asked them because I built a relationship with them, friendship. And I said, hey, man, you know. Just out of curiosity, you know, because we are in church and stuff, you ever think, like, you know, you're wearing a shirt with this guy smoking a blunt, and um, and he's like, you know, I was coming from somewhere, and um, in my car, I only had this T-shirt. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, so you were driving in your car from, you couldn't go home, you weren't wearing a T-shirt? He's like, no, I was wearing a T-shirt, but this was the best shirt option. I said, your best shirt option was a guy smoking a blunt. And he's like, well, look. And then he lifts up, and he, under his shirt, he had another shirt. And it was like this girl in a bikini at the beach, you know. Yikes. And then so I'll, at the end of the day, I thought, he still chose to come right. instead of Now, if you're a Christian who's been Christian for months and years, eventually you realize, hey, I shouldn't be doing those things. When you're new, I'm not going to bat an eye and send you home when it's your first few weeks or you're a baby Christian. I want right. you to come. And then as you come, I would, show you, I would talk to you. Or if you're a female, female leader would talk to you and just kindly tell you about modesty you know but yeah. when they first come in the doors i'm not going to kick them I think, out yeah i think it's something that needs to be addressed on a personal level mm-hmm. because you know the pastor can't get up in front of the church and say hey we need you to stop wearing tank tops no or, or baggy sweatpants whatever I you know what i mean that. <laughs> like it's something that that's why we banned it. a leader in the church needs to take that step and pull that person aside of the same gender same gender leader and say hey i noticed you wearing this or doing that and it's not the most modest or respectful thing. And we'd ask that you, you know, if, if you have no other options, whatever, we'll work around that. But, you know, the most important thing is that they come, but do so in a way that's respectful and, you know. And then we got two more. Um, this one is pretty specific, but it, it took me a while to think of stuff. Um, talking, they said, the uh, end times prophecy without becoming political. And I think that's, when I thought about it, because I had to reread it a few times, you get these pastors who, they're preaching end times prophecy all wrong. This is the category where they're talking about it, but it's all wrong, because talk about end times prophecy, but in a way that it's to garden their money, or they make yeah. it they make it political, where like, during election season, we need to come to Christ, this is the election of our lifetimes, and we need to this yeah. and that, because Christ is coming soon, or, you know, God, God sent Trump down to, to show us something, or God... 
you know, is damning America because he made Trump president in both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. and they make these like end time predictions and prophecy, right. and they try to make it clear whether they're doing it or not. Um, and some of these are prosperity gospel preachers who do right. these things too. Yeah, yeah. I think the the problem is is that, and like if you read Revelations, although there's a lot of you know prophetic language to get through, I think there is a lot of heavy political implications in it, and. I think when we reach that point, politics will be very heavily in, intertwined in what's happening. The problem is we don't know if we're at that point yet. Exactly. We could be another 100 years out, and everything happening now could have zero impact on what happens. So I think, yes, politics will play a part in the end-time events. It's just it might not be now, so it's pointless to try and make connections because we just don't know. You know and the other thing is every election season— Someone makes some end times profit. Right, so yeah. Exactly. Like, like, did you hear that one Dana cover? No, I, no, I didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Don't worry. <laughs> no, that, you, you see the video of Dana Coverstone and the pastor. He, brought, he had a dream apparently predicting that the nation's going to descend into chaos and almost civil war. You should buy. Well, the thing is, is, he said at the end, you should, you should go buy guns and ammunition. And I, at that point, that's when I was like, I thought he was sincere, but. Yeah. Uh, when we start getting to down that road, I think there's a little more intent. Okay, we, we got one more before we go to our list. So we'll probably, I'm calling it now, I'm making an audible. We're probably, when we post this, we're probably going to post two at the same time. And it'll be part one and part two. Because we're already at like the 45 minute mark. Yeah. But we won't post them uh, two weeks apart. Like we usually post one every two weeks. We'll probably post both of these back to back. You listen to this one, and when you have time, you can listen to the next one. Sound like a good idea? Yeah. Sounds good right. to me. Well, I did it, so yeah. we have to. Audience um, is getting an inside look into yeah. our uh, process behind, of making plans. Behind <laughs> the scenes. It's, it's, someone had it's this, that easy. <laughs> someone had this number one on their list, and two people only sent in one thing, and they said the same thing. Well, similar. Same so, person. two people who sent one thing said racism, Ooh. and the person who had it number one on their list said racism within the church. So, I assume, because we're talking about the church... Right. Racism in the church. I believe there are a lot of people who talk about judging. Oh, the church judges me. Or this and that. Is that true? I think there are churches that judge. And they give off that vibe. Is it also the work of Satan to get in the minds of the people who come in the church and they think they're being judged and they think they're, people are being racist towards them? Sure. Are there people who take sentences and, and treatment the wrong way when they get a donut or coffee after service and someone talks to them about something? Sure. I think it is both ways in my opinion. I think... The mindset some people have growing up or what they see on the news, whether it's legit or not, or on their social media, fake news feed, um, they see these things and then they believe that and then they think that when they come to church. But I also don't want to ignore the fact that there have been people who have been taken advantage of by the church because of racism. Or you see these televangelists who try to go to urban neighborhoods and they try to tell them, if you give us so much money, God's going to bless you tenfold and he's going to get you that car you need. And then you hear stories about people who couldn't pay their rent next month because they gave all they had thinking they were going to be blessed because they fell for the strap. And that's not being racist in itself to say, oh, are you saying people in urban neighborhoods are dumb? Well, because there are poor communities that are all all white people too. It's just they feed off people who sometimes get caught up in these traps, whether you're rich or you're poor, get caught up in these traps of of all different races and cultures, and they take advantage of them. So I do believe that's out there. I condemn that. I do also believe the world and Satan and the media and the anti-church media has tried to make it into a thing where the church is racist and you walk in there and you're holding your girl holding hands with another girl, you immediately think the church is judging me and we need to leave. When maybe that church isn't, it shouldn't be. But there's so many different scenarios of racism, both good and bad on both sides of the thing, where the church is right and you're right, or maybe you're both right. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I think, um, yeah, just what it comes down to is the church has to uphold what it means to be human in the Bible and what it means to have separate, uh, just separate skin colors because we it's just a fact of reality that all human beings are different and so we should definitely respect each other and respect our identities. But when our identity comes to the point where we're, we're acting in an immoral way or something like cult, a culture, and that's what we mean by racism, like we're attacking LGBTQ culture, then that's where I think we have to make a line. There's a difference between our ethnicity and what we believe and how we act. So I think that's just what it comes down to. We have to make sure that we have that standard set. Right. Here's what I'll say 
And no, <laughs> and this goes back to I've kind of we said this before is what is the expectation here when they say the church doesn't talk about racism or is talking about the wrong way? What do you expect the conversation to be? Because if I were to preach a sermon on racism, I would get up, I would put the Bible down, and I'd say, "We're all created equal. Racism is bad." Amen. That's my sermon. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, awesome. what else do you want the church to say unless you expect more conversation along the lines of social justice and systematic racism and things like that, which to me ends up crossing the boundaries to more of a political discussion and less of a topic for the pulpit. And so I think, again, the, the point is, what's the expectation? Because the conversation ends at, you know, Jesus treated everybody equal. You know, he didn't have any problems with lepers or, you know, the Samaritans or tax collectors or anybody for that matter. And so that's it. That's pure. There's no conversation to be had within the church. And I mean, there's probably specific churches that struggle with that, but I don't think that's a church as a whole thing. So I, I don't know. And unless they expect something more to be done, which yeah. I would argue is not something that the church would be concerned with to begin with. Yeah, no, so um, we're actually going to put this into two parts. That first part was what people sent in to us about things the church doesn't talk about or things the church talks about but in all the wrong ways. Um, and so this next episode we will probably put out right after this one. Right. So you can listen to this one you just heard. And then, um, well, if you got to this point, you probably already were listening <laughs> to it. And then if you're still in the mood, you still got time. We're going to do our part two, or you can save it for later. But our part two we're going to do in a minute is our list that we came up with. Shane, our guest, he's going to come with us for the next episode. He uh, had a low uh, charge rate, so we're able to get two episodes. <laughs> um, his charge rate was just a ride home, so yes, we're yeah. going to hook him up with that. Um, but we're going to talk about our top five. He's going to give a list, and his was actually pretty similar to mine, so we'll go over mine in detail. Um, so please stay tuned. This is the Brokenness to Faith podcast. You can look us up on Instagram, brokenness underscore two faith, and you can email us any questions, concerns, comments at brokenness to faith at gmail.com. This is Mark, Noah, and Shane, and hopefully you guys like what you heard. If you have any others that you've thought of, again, email us, message us on Instagram. Our next episode is going to be about a list we have, and it's going to be more in-depth with statistics and quotes and more Bible verses. Peace out.